0: Hey, it's Brett. On the Tuesday edition of the Mackling and McGarry podcast, we'll discuss going cashless. A Winnipeg business, Boon Burger, is doing just that. We'll speak with the owner to find out why. And then we'll have coffee and talk about how much cash we are actually using these days. Also, need an idea for a good summer read? Chris Hall from McNally Robinson joins us with five ideas on great books for the season. And the Winnipeg Fringe Festival is set to begin. We'll talk to the festival's producer, Chuck McEwen, about one of the biggest annual events in the city.
1: Are you uh, someone who can reach into his wallet and have a few bucks at a moment's notice, or are you a plastic guy?
0: I will generally use debit, but I do always try to have cash on me. For example, my barber, Tony's Barbershop on Regent, cash only, so I have to have cash, and it's only, half the time I always forget to grab cash and then I got to run to the bank. But I also, when I go golfing, even though I can use debit at the golf cart, if I'm buying a drink from the, the beverage carts, I still prefer to use cash. It's just easier. It takes less time, I find, to do that, especially now that my the tap on my debit card is dead. It's conked out on you? Yeah, it's conked out.
1: Yeah, it's conked out on one of mine as well. Well, a local restaurant has taken cash off the menu when it comes to paying the bill. Boon Burger is going cashless preferring to accept payments by debit and credit only. To tell us about why
0: Boonberger is going cashless, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by the owner of Boonberger, Thomas Solberg. Mr. Solberg, good morning to you, sir.
2: Hi, how are you guys doing?
0: Very well, very well. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. So I guess we'll start with a simple question. Why are you doing this?
2: Well, I guess we just started seeing a trend of uh, uh, more and more people paying with a debit and credit card. And, um, and the amount of money we have to spend in order to manage cash is quite a- astronomical when you think of the few people that actually have to pay with cash. So we have to pay a manager at least 10 hours a week uh, to do deposits, get our cash trades ready, buy coins from the bank. Um, it just really exposes us to, to, to so much liability just so few people wanting to pay with cash, so we just thought we would make the switch. And it kind of seems, if you look internationally, that already Scandinavia is looking at going completely cashless in the next few years.
1: Well, I mean, uh, one of the most popular and successful companies on the planet right now is Uber. They they don't handle cash whatsoever.
2: Yeah, there you go. So it, it, it is happening. We're just a little bit ahead of the curve, and and uh, well, we're hoping we're on the right side of it. And you know, not that you know cash is going to make a, a, a resurgence, but uh, but that it's it's actually going to be fading out.
0: Now, Thomas, you say to the free press, quote, there are very, very few people that come in who are basically wearing their tinfoil helmets and don't have cell phones or credit cards or debit cards and say, I only have cash. So if you do prefer to use cash, and we're actually going to speak with somebody at 745 who does prefer to use cash, does that mean that you're a tinfoil wearing conspiracy theorist?
2: No, no, and and I and I mean and 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 obviously I was having a playful, you know, discourse with the free press when I said that, and obviously I understand that there are people that that prefer to to use cash, and I don't have credit cards or debit cards, and 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 that's okay. And actually, we have made a provision for those people. Um, We will actually sell them a gift card. So if they come in with twenty dollars, and we can sell them a twenty dollars gift card. So for now, there is a loophole. Um, um, because we, we, we obviously want to, you know, we understand that not everybody has gone cashless, but, but we have in the sense that we don't, we don't carry any, any, any float or any coin on the premises. So, so that is a tiny workaround that we still allow, but, uh, but this by no means is meant to shame anyone that, 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 that doesn't have plastic.
1: So Thomas Thomas Solberg, by the way, is the owner of Boon Burger. He joins us now, and they've gone completely cashless. Uh, Thomas, are there tips involved at uh, your your establishment? Yes. Uh, do, do customers still leave tips in cash from time to time?
2: Yes, absolutely. So uh, they they still leave some cash tips, uh, but most of the cash is oh sorry the tips is left on on the the, uh, the debit machine or or credit card right. transactions.
0: Right. Now we have a question here from somebody who is asking uh, and I'm just wondering if you've already had to look into this or maybe anybody's asked you this. Tim asks at 2047806868. It is not against the law to not accept cash in Canada.
2: Correct. Yeah, it, it's uh, you don't have to accept cash.
0: So it's not against the law to you can do whatever you you can accept uh food stamps if you want, to whatever form of payment.
2: Uh, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, you don't even have to accept credit card or debit card or, yeah, exactly. Like you don't, it, it's, not, it's, it, it's not determined what exactly you have to accept, uh, uh, but, but you don't have to accept uh, standard forms of payment.
1: Thomas, thanks for this. And uh, we appreciate you joining us so early on uh, Tuesday morning uh, to share the story with us. What's the day look like for you? What time do you guys open over there?
2: Uh, we open up at uh, 11 a.m. And uh, we're, we're open till, uh, till nine at night.
0: Before we let you go, Thomas, actually, I, 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 am, I admit I have not been to your establishment, uh, but I'm always into trying new places. Boon Burger, what is Boon Burger all about?
2: Well, we're uh, uh, Canada's first uh, all-vegan burger cafe. So uh, we have uh, um, burgers, hot dogs, uh, poutines, milkshakes, soft serve, but, we're, but it's all without animal ingredients.
0: And with the, the reason, I guess, I, I, I'm curious is, you know, plant-based burgers, of course, have been big in the news lately with A&W launching the Beyond Meat Burgers. So what's your thought on fast food getting in on vegetarian and vegan-friendly burgers?
2: Well, you know, I, I think it's great. I think it's really just opening the door for my type of business. And I think it's just, it's just pushing it more in, in, into the forefront. And I think it's great what a has done. And it's been received so well. So I'm I'm kind of excited for the future.
1: Yeah, the more mainstream those things become, the more popular they become at specialty locations like yours. And uh, maybe you should let us know where you are before we let you run here, Thomas.
2: Uh
0: seventy-nine
1: Sherbrooke Street.
0: Seventy nine Sherbrooke.
1: Boon Burger, the location. Tom
0: Thomas Solberg, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for, for taking the
2: time to to talk to me. I appreciate it.
0: Alright, Thomas Solberg is the owner of Boon Burger. Once again, they are going cashless, but you can, if you do walk in there and you want to buy a meal and you don't have plastic or you don't want to use it uh, because I, I know a lot of people are they're kind of scared about the fact that these RFID or whatever th- things, scanners, yes. like now you got it when you go buy a wallet, the wallet that you just bought, does it come with that protection? I don't think so. Yeah. I didn't
1: even think about it.
0: That's something I didn't even know was a thing until I went to buy new wallet early last year, and uh, some of them had built-in protection for these scanners. So I know that a lot of people are, some people are shying away from using plastic because they don't want their information to get and stolen. I,
1: I was thinking about that for my trip to Chicago coming up at the end of the month, uh, about getting one of those travel wallets with that protection. But I just brought a brand new wallet, didn't even, didn't even think about it. I have been to places that do cash only. That's still a thing. Yep. And in fact, there was a place that I went to and I refused to sit down and get my hair cut because they were cash only. So why don't we get everybody together, get their take on this whole idea of going cashless. Is Canada headed towards a cashless future? I think this is a conversation we had when Interact showed up on the scene I was in the restaurant business uh, during that transition period. And I couldn't believe how many people were frustrated when they come into a restaurant that I worked at. When we didn't have Interact, people were were angry about that. Uh, earlier, our last segment, we told you about how Boon will no longer be accepting cash payments in favor of debit and credit card payments. And today, having coffee, talking cash versus debit and or credit. What's your preferred method of payment? Clay Young is here, Chanelie Vidal, and Tristan Field-Jones joining, Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry in studio.
0: So Chanelie, why don't we start with you? Do you like cash or plastic? You know, I like them both. I like the convenience of having a debit card. What I don't like is, uh, not being able to manage as well as I have, have the cash because you have to re- realize how much you have in your bank account how much has been taken out so you have to be more on top of things right No, you
1: just tap until it doesn't work anymore That's easy.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> well there's that too and it's super convenient but the problem is you get so used to having having it's kind of a kind of a kind of a crutch right and then I want to go to a farmer's market or something like that and they don't take mm. debit so oh I can't buy some pies or I can't get my vegetables and I'm disappointed so I have to like think ahead to make sure I have cash, and also when I have cash, I feel rich, and then I pay for something with cash and they give me some change, and then I have like more things jangling around, I feel even more rich. We have an update on that uh, Confusion Corner situation, by the way. Two vehicle crash, left lane of northbound Osborne at Jesse, just before Confusion Corner. The center lanes south and northbound are blocked. So. Just watch out for that. If you're heading toward or coming from Confusion Corner, problems abound. Clayman, are you a plastic man or a cash man? I'm I'm sort of both, actually, and I I have been to places, and it's kind of embarrassing. So there's somebody ahead of me, and the proprietor, the clerk says, "Uh, I'm sorry, we don't take debit. And the guy in front of me, it was, it was really, it's like I'm looking at the floor, like I don't want to be here. Well, I don't have any cash, and he's got his bill. So, what do you want me to do? Go in the back and start washing dishes? Right. I always carry some cash just okay. in case. And you know, if I'm parking downtown, jump out. I, yeah, I could use my card to pay for the parking. Pop a loony in, run back into do whatever I have to do. It's in and out. You know, fast.
1: Yeah, I I like the parking app. It's one of the the coolest things that the city of Winnipeg's ever brought in, uh, the parking app. uh, TFJ, I'm going to suspect, I'm guessing that you always have a little bit of cash
3: on you. Always, absolutely. Uh, I am uh, a little bit old school when it comes to that. Um, I, I think it is important for you to keep cash because, you know, how many times have we heard of, you know, the debit machine not working? And, you know, suddenly you're out of luck because you didn't bring any cash with you whatsoever. I have friends of mine who, uh, it's, it's almost always entirely, if it's $0.25 cents or $2,500, it's almost always debit or credit. <laughs> and, you know, that will happen. Is as, as you know, I like to go on day trips all over the province, especially during the summer. And the number of times I've been out with friends where I'm the one who ends up paying for everybody because I brought cash. And everyone was like, because how many of these small towns do they still rely on that, on cash, and, and you know or you have to pay a little bit to use debit or whatever it is. So, yeah, I always, always get cash. And, and I will say this, the tap technology with credit cards, that to me is a bit concerning because whereas with the PIN, you have to at least put in a few numbers to figure it out, if somebody stole my credit card, all they have to do is place it on top of the device and boom. You don't mm-hmm. need to know a pin. You don't need to know anything like that. Now, obviously, there's a way to track that and figure out, hey, I didn't make that that purchase. But still, that type, I get it that it's convenient, but that tap technology is not secure.
1: Well, the, obviously, the credit card companies and the banks have done the calculations and said it's worth the risk, right? Because sure. they feel as though they're going to pull more money out of your pockets. And to Chanelie's point, I think that you sometimes lose the value of money when you don't actually use cash, Absolutely. right? Because yeah. oh, it's convenient and uh, you feel like you can always buy it. You don't have to plan ahead. I remember Clay. Uh, Brett, I don't know if you're old enough to ever... Ha- I had to go and cash your check
4: at oh, yeah. the bank,
1: right, and before ATMs, you had to figure out, well, oh, I'm going to social tonight, I might want to do this tomorrow, and you'd have to decide on Friday at three o'clock in the mm-hmm. afternoon how much money you were going to mm-hmm. have for the weekend. Yep. I can remember my mom having a, you know, phone a friend, can you cash a check for me on a Sunday so I can go buy, you know, some milk or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the technology stuff that Tristan was talking about, you never know when the debit machine's going to go down. I mean, you never know when technology is going to fail. I went to Marble Slab yesterday to get a, a red velvet and Oreo milkshake, <sighs> oh. and the blender oh. broke. The oh, blender no. broke. It was broken, so I just had a bowl of the ice cream. <laughs> but that's a tragedy. I didn't get my milkshake, so you don't know when technology. You adapted
1: without the technology. Yeah, I
0: just said to the young lady, like, well, can you just put it in a bowl? But it does help to have cash, and there was a, there was a period where I didn't, ever carry cash, not by choice, just sort of, that's just how it ended up happening. I think it was more out of laziness. But now I do try to at least have 20 bucks on me because you don't mm-hmm. know, when you you, know, you don't know if you go to a restaurant or a burger stand like uh, the Dairy Whip, for example, uh, we talked about a and This is Mike's. The Dairy Whip right next door, it doesn't take cash. You were talking about how you walked out of a place. I
1: did. I went to go get my hair cut somewhere and it was cash only. And I'd been in this place before, and it, it, it felt shady to me. Because I could tell that their business was sort of on the decline, and so I was wondering, okay, you're, maybe you're trying to hide some cash. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to aid and abet <laughs> one of these businesses from basically hiding how much money they were deriving wow. by going cash only. I just didn't like the way it felt. It felt kind of lowbrow, and the, and the sign on the door was taped on crooked. And, and the, this is you where know, you
0: went to trust people to cut
3: your hair. Yeah,
1: no, I walked right out, so... <laughs> so I had a problem with that. So uh, yeah, the, the, there's lots of sides to this. I'd love to, to hear your side of it. You know
3: that those establishments are might be a little sketchy when some of them have jail bars on the windows? <laughs> yes. That, that might be a bit of a clue that, oh dear, maybe we stayed, should find somewhere else.
1: You ever stayed in a hotel where they have bulletproof glass between you and the clerk? That's not usually a very good sign.
0: The business doesn't necessarily have to be shady just because they have bars. Maybe they're just trying to protect their business from shady people outside. Like you, Tristan. Like you. Oh
3: Tristan. yes, that's right, because that's what I do on my spare time. I do I participate in hooliganism and vandalism.
0: You are a <laughs> hooligan.
2: Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a
4: book. A reading rainbow.
1: I always get super excited when this gentleman comes to visit us, Greg. Without question, I'm enjoying the reading rainbow Prince theme tonight. song playing underneath. <laughs> That's right! (laughs) Reading Rainbow. Well done.
0: Well done, Tristan Field-Jones. Yeah, hey, if you're trying to decide what book you should take along on your vacation this summer, Chris Hall from McNally Robinson is here with his summer reading inspiration. Mr. Hall, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you got five books there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You always bring something for everyone. Yeah. Uh, So which one would you bring? You know what? I would be most likely
5: to bring... uh a novel by uh, Lyndon McIntyre. Um, Lyndon McIntyre is very well known from his CBC years, Fifth Estate. Um, this is a novel about, uh, um, I guess, a young fellow whose uh, father goes missing. His father is originally from the Middle East, came to Canada as an immigrant and then became very successful, but has disappeared somewhere. So there's a bit of a mystery in here. Mm. Um, but lots to lots to learn about Middle East and situations of, uh, well, this is kind of set of, up uh, uh, a few years ago. But uh, but still, you learn so much about the world. Uh, reading this book, you can tell uh, McIntyre was an investigative journalist. That comes through crystal clear. So I, I, I'm a sucker for tr- trying to learn something when I'm reading. So that's the one I would go to. Great writer. He won the Giller Prize for a former novel and previous novel. And yeah, I can highly recommend him.
1: We had him in that very chair about a year ago, talking about this uh, this novel. Oh, so good. it is getting traction, and people are enjoying this book. I Ab- absolutely,
5: yeah, yeah, no, uh, he's, his books sell very well, and they're always ve- very well uh, critically acclaimed. And uh, but yeah, uh, easy to recommend him.
0: Now, I'm looking at uh, your website, mcnallyrobinson.com. There's mm-hmm. a segment right on the, the home page that says Summer Reads with a whole bunch of ideas. Yeah. Uh, a couple of them are uh, that I see are right in front of you I'll here. Look what, what's Theft by Finding?
5: Theft by Finding is uh, by a very funny author. Uh, many people will be uh, very familiar with David Sedaris. Uh, he's written uh, mostly what we would call essays, I guess, for lack of a better word, but they're just hilarious. He writes about his family, he writes about the foibles of the people around him. Um, it's laugh out loud stuff. Now this one uh, goes back in time a little bit. It's his diaries from 1977 to 2002, so kind of before he became a, or had a career as a very successful author. So this is back to uh, you know, him in development, I suppose. This one's a little less laugh out loud, although there are moments when you do laugh out loud. What he's really good at is, is just finding the foibles in people. He he just um, he meets people, he talks to them, and then he just tells that story. And, and it's just it's amusing. It, it uh, brings a smile to your face. We're, we all have these little foibles and uh, they, they make us human. And, and so uh, Theft by Finding is the perfect title. Um, it's not really his stories. He's kind of stealing other people's stories, but he just tells them so well that it, it's just uh, it's it's really uh, it's a great book. Um, but you could start with any book by David Sedaris over so the summer. You'd be laughing. Maybe uh, the his Christmas book you could save for Christmas. But uh, uh, yeah, Holidays on Ice is what it's <laughs> called. But uh, but you know, anything else, uh, it's good good stuff.
1: What is it that that makes a, an author like that so? good at telling and and sharing a story whether it's a, a life experience or or something that's been stolen from someone else's life
5: yeah, I, I don't know there's some a, a mystery uh, to that. The, the people are born storytellers, we say. And uh, and s- you know some a lot of them you can see or they will talk about people in their lives that uh, they grew up listening to a mom or a father. Or and we have no something. idea who these people are, no, but we exactly. want to learn more, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So they're just they're just born and surrounded by storytellers and they just become storytellers. At, um that's that's certainly one uh one factor I hear kind of over and over from these these people, but uh, yeah, there's um, there's some great storytellers. I think we know a few, probably each of us, right, in, in our own lives. When
0: mm-hmm. you go on vacation, do you prefer to bring a book or do you do the e reading thing?
5: I always bring a book. I'm I'm biased that way. I had an e reader for a while to try it. I um as much I as much as anything, holding that device in one position for the entire time and only moving your thumbs was <laughs> almost physically constraining. I got kind of cramped. <laughs> um, I like to move around, hold the book in different ways and things like that. I don't know. I, I hear people a lot talking, but I love the real book and I'm certainly that way. I, uh, I It sits on my bedside table or my coffee table. It's part of my life for the week or so that I, I read it. It reminds me me during the course of the day you see it and you're reminded of what you read about it last night there's it occupies a piece in your life and and there's something about an e-reader the the novel just sits there and it's kind of out of sight out of mind um while you're not reading it i think there's a big part of the physical presence of a book.
1: I think it's funny. I often say that people will research and spend more time finding the perfect book for their vacation and invest more of their personal time in that than they will in their RSPS <laughs> in a brand new <laughs> stove or That's fridge right. for their for their kitchen that they're going to have for 10 or 15 years. So what is it that so indelibly con- connects us uh, and or connects books us and our holidays and our vacations. Why do we like to read so much on on a vacation, whether it's to the beach or to the cottage or on the plane?
5: I think there's a, a lot of things you could start to say about that. Um, I mean, we're not... It's it's similar to watching TV. I mean, TV is is hearing stories and following stories. Movies are about following stories. So we, we do love to be told stories. Um, a book, I think, is... Is a, offers a unique experience in, it, in its immersiveness. You, you spend a lot of time with this and you, you, uh, you get more deeply involved with it. Uh, an author can tell a story many things going on inside somebody's head you know what are they thinking how are they feeling a movie can't get that close um, directly at least and and TV do- doesn't get that close it does things tells different or st- stories I guess in a different way but a book really allows you to experience something so I think there's there's a depth there that i I would say makes it uh, makes it different.
0: Chris Hall is here from McNally Robinson with some summer reading ideas. We've already gone through two and the one in your hands right now, Chris, the death of Mrs. Westaway. What's that? Well, this is um, a book that's uh, a little bit more of a page-turner. A griplet is
5: what they're calling these books a now. A what? A well, griplet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, it grips gripping. you, yes, exactly, and pulls you along. So this is a little more of a plot-based book. Uh, Ruth Ware is the, uh, is the author. She's written uh, The Lion Game, The Woman in Cabin 10, In a Dark, Dark Wood. Um, this is the kind of book you don't want to talk too much about the plot because the plot is kind of the twists and turns are, are what, you, uh, what you're reading for. But... Um, um, essentially, uh, a young, uh, young woman, uh, Harriet Westaway is, um, receives a letter from, uh, from, uh, Mrs. Westaway who has recently passed away. And, and this letter says that she's, um, she's come into a large sum of money in, as the inheritance, except that this Mrs. Westaway is not, uh, Harriet's grandmother as far as she knows. So she visits the, uh, the, uh, um the funeral it goes to the funeral and meets the people and, and tries to figure out what's going on so uh I won't give any more away because uh <laughs> that you know, sounds you like go, enough yeah. to me I'm intrigued <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah. and there's a lot of books like this the, these are the you know this is the girl on the train kind of um, phenomenon that book came out and then it was made into a movie and and these books have become very popular they're not new by any sense but they but they're really the uh, the books that sell a lot great for the the summer a little bit dark for me but uh um There seems to be a big taste for dark books where bad things happen.
0: Well, what's beside? There's something called Cold Skies. That doesn't sound any lighter.
5: (laughs) It's a lot lighter. Uh, Thomas King takes his mysteries a lot uh, less seriously. Um, this is the uh, the Dreadful Water series so uh, his uh, his detective is named Trump's Dreadful Water and uh, it's played very light even there's a um, there's a few d- bodies that turn up of course you can't have uh, a mystery w- without the bodies but um, but uh, Thomas King uh, is the author and he's uh, he's very well known uh, has serious books as well as light uh, light fiction um, but he just has fun with this one. Uh, tries to uh, dreadful water in this case tries to figure out um, there's a there's a new technology that's come to his his town uh, chinook is, is is the town where he's uh, uh, where he is and uh, there's a company that's come in they have a new technology for extracting water from the from under the ground and uh, and this technology I guess is very valuable people start to uh, straight start to drop dead in the uh, competition to uh, to extract the resources and so on so there's there's Probably more than, uh, more than the uh, just a straight ahead uh, mystery going on. There's probably a few, uh, a few messages, but uh, that's all right. It's it's done with a very light touch. Fantastic. So, m- quite quite different than Ruth Ware, which you know very dark.
1: Now, the ca- the clock is always against us, so uh-huh. g- if you can give us a synopsis of that fifth book you have in about 45 seconds, that'd be awesome.
5: Sure. Well, Peter Mayle uh, made his name uh, writing books about Provence, The Year in Provence, Encore Provence. This uh, He passed away, unfortunately, in January. This is a book called My 25 Years in Provence, and it's really just a series of little snippets from his 25 years. It's charming. Uh, there's no other word for it. Um, I recommend you pair it with a nice rosé in the evenings. <laughs>
1: <Because> <laughs> oh, you're, you're, pairing, <laughs> you're pairing wine with books now. I like right. that, Chris. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get
5: hungry and you're going to crave some rosé. And if you're drinking in the morning, you're going to need a really good cup of coffee.
0: Well, Chris Hall from McNally Robinson, thank you so much for the suggestions. I definitely want to check out that Mrs. Westaway book. Uh, that sounds like it's right up my alley. I love a good yarn, uh, but so many suggestions, and you can get more at McNallyRobinson.com. And more importantly, go visit them at Grant Park Shopping Center or at the newish location at mm-hmm. the Forks, right? How's that Absolutely. going?
5: It's going very well. It's. Uh We're very pleased with how people have
0: responded to it. All right. Well, we're very pleased that you could come see us today. We always love having you on. We'll look for an excuse to bring you back soon. Chris Hall, uh, joining us from McNally Robinson.
1: I don't want to be accused of uh, uh, hyperbole here, but I think our next topic of conversation, the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, which opens tomorrow, has in a great sense shown Winnipeg what it can be when it is at its very best. Chuck McEwen is the festival producer. And uh, Chuck, uh, can I just thank you for maintaining this festival and giving us this sneak peek in the Exchange District in particular as to to what things could be like if if we could just keep the momentum going, not 12 months of the year, that might not be possible, but for a majority of the year. So thank you for that, Chuck.
4: Well, it's, I, I would love to take the credit, but I'll, I'll also pass it along to all the hardworking staff. We have over 800 volunteers, and not to mention the 180 so-performing companies.
0: 800 volunteers. How many, how many people are involved in all, do you think, with all of the, the performers and, along with the volunteers?
4: Yeah, we're at about 830 with the volunteers. We're probably around 700 to 750 individual performing artists and stage managers, directors, plus about 130 staff members this year. So it's a large team that puts the event together, and, of course, we couldn't do it all unless Winnipeggers who, who flocked to the fringe from the very first year came out to support independent new work and took that chance and enjoyed that creative process every summer.
1: You mentioned from the get-go that this was popular. I can remember riding a rickshaw from Memorial Park all the way to the Exchange District for the first Fringe Festival after working at, uh, we used to do this thing with all the different restaurants in Memorial Park. I can't even remember what it was called then at the end of a very long day and just being absolutely blown away by what was getting started there. So from the get-go, this was
4: popular, Chuck? Oh, yeah. I I think... You know, Winnipeg is is known for its artistic community and the lover of the arts, the patrons that come out and see a wide variety of arts, not just theater, but dance and music and opera and that kind of a thing. And because of our our great audience base, Winnipeg still holds the record for the largest single first-year attendance uh, for indoor shows of any Fringe Festival in Canada. I think Fringers just, they like festivals to begin with. Winnipeggers and Manitobans love festivals, and I think they just like the idea of getting out and having a great time. And with the Fringe, the idea of seeing now almost 180 different kinds of plays and the, the wide range of choice. it just uh, grabs you and you get you get addicted, you want to see more.
0: Now the Winnipeg Fringe Festival is one of the biggest of its kind, but it's not quite the biggest is it?
4: That's right. We are the second largest fringe festival in North America. And we, we, we go by indoor ticketed attendance. And number one is the Edmonton Fringe Festival. So Boo. we're doing pretty good.
1: Ooh, we got to beat good. those guys. Come on, Chuck.
4: Well, it, it's close. And uh, to be fair, um, you know, uh, they do have uh, a bit more population than we do. They're a bit large, larger of a city. So I think comparatively, we're doing really, really well. And the key is... It's not about uh, overall attendance. It's about people coming out, having fun, supporting the artist, taking a chance, giving new artists uh, a crack, and spreading the word about the shows you've loved. Because with 180, you might get on a grid year, if you can see a lot of shows, have some money and time, maybe 40, 50, 60 shows. So we want people to, to see a few and go out and spread the word.
0: For those who have never been to the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, maybe just give a snapshot, what is it?
4: Well, that's a good question. The Fringe is um, an independent theater festival, and we actually don't select the artists. We draw names out of a hat because we want to give artists total creative freedom to put on the shows and tell the stories that they want to tell the way they want to tell them, and that way the audience decides what the most popular shows are. So you can see an improv show, a Shakespeare show, a dance show, uh, puppets, clown, cabaret, and even the unclassifiable. So there's a bit of everything at the Fringe uh, for people to take a chance on. And if you haven't been before... Pick something you like. If you like sports, or pick a show about baseball or hockey. If you like politics, there'll be lots of choices about that. So you can always find something that you can say, ah, that sounds like fun. I'm going to give it a chance.
1: Now, Chuck, last night, I'm walking my dog in my neighborhood, with my wife, and and we see this really cool motorhome, and of course I'm kind of an automobile kind of geek, and I'm checking this all out, and I love campers and the idea of being on the open road, going town to town, and so I have to find out what kind of vehicle this is, and then, oh, sure enough, it's a California license plate, and this incredibly compact, luxurious motorhome has these two alien hands sort of hugging it around the back. And it turns out this is these are the same hands that are featured on the poster for the 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 play called Squeeze My Cans Surviving Scientology.
4: Have you seen this play yet? I've seen the poster. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the the one thing about the Fringe. Every year we have first-time artists, new artists coming up, and it's not just a local festival. We have 50% of our plays are from Manitoba, and then the rest are from across Canada and around the world, including the United States. So they've traveled up here to put on their show and to find an audience, and I'm sure they're traveling to many Fringe festivals all summer long. So how do you
0: keep coming up? Like every year there's a new theme. Uh, Right now I'm looking at the website. It's take a chance and it's got uh, pictures of playing cards with all sorts of different uh, unique images. Every year there's a new theme. How do you come up with that every year? How do you keep that fresh?
4: Well, you know, we, we work with our design team and our marketing firm, and we want to come up with something that sort of relates to, you know, the ideals of what the fringe is. And, and the whole idea of taking a chance means we want patrons to, you know, take a few risks when they're seeing a few plays. You might want to pick some of your favorites that you go to year after year, but there are always first-time companies and first-time artists in the festival that don't have the previous reputation. And so if you think you read the blurb in the program on the website and it sounds interesting, you know, support them and give a chance. You might be pleasantly surprised, because as you know as a regular Fringer, you've only got an 80-word show description to choose from. It's not a lot of information there, so a lot of the times it is just, you know what, it sounds interesting, I'm going to put my 10 or $12 down and go see what it's like. And these people be pleasantly surprised.
1: The, uh, sorry, Chuck, these people hustle, right? These performers, when they're not they on stage, they're out in Old Market Square, they're out at the alternate venues, they're out handing, handing out whatever they can in order to entice you to come to the shows. It's not like they're doing their performances and then heading back to the hostel, the hotel, hotel or their camper, they are out really, really doing things, whatever they can, to get you to come to their show.
4: Well, that's right, because there is a lot of competition. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of companies doing shows, trying to find an audience, and we hope that there's a good size audience for everybody, but like you say, the, the most popular way to promote their show uh, is hand-billing, you know, going to lineups, talking to people, standing in line, buying tickets to another show, and saying, I hope you enjoy it, but by the way, mine's afterwards, it's an improv show about this, or a play about that. And and just communicating with the fans and talking to them about what they've seen, what they like, and just promoting themselves at the same time. And hopefully that that engagement works and people, Oh, that sounds cool. I'll take a chance.
0: Well and Chuck, not only is it a great festival but in terms of an economic standpoint, it's also a, a pretty significant shot in the arm for businesses either in the mm-hmm. vicinity or um, that just happen to be nearby. I think, for example, the King's Head, they always get that extended patio or used mm-hmm. to. Do they still do that? Yeah, the extended patio that goes right down to the into the street during the French Festival.
4: That's right. Both weekends, they uh, they expand out onto the street. That's part of our arrangement with them. And the Exchange District biz is one of our supporters, of course, and we hope to attract tens of thousands of uh, visitors to the Exchange District in downtown Winnipeg during the fringe. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of things to do in the park or Market Square. You know, there's food vendors, there's merchant vendors, there's entertainment. But, of course, people are going to be hopefully supporting all of the restaurants and other retailers in the neighborhood, doing little window shopping and that kind of a thing. And like you said at the beginning, we feel that when the fringe is on, the Exchange District really feels like one of those exciting, dynamic downtown neighborhoods, a downtown community. And we'd love to be able to keep that enthusiasm, that traffic, and that excitement all year long if we could.
0: And by the way, if you are going to the Fringe Festival and you happen to visit a place like the King's Head or a nearby restaurant, just make sure you're nice to the serving staff because they're going to be working their tails off for the next <laughs> couple of weeks as a result of this. <laughs> it's a
1: really good you point. Betcha. And Chuck, uh, last one for you. We got to let you run the. The clock's always the enemy around here. But the, the, I've got kids, and uh, my boys love to go down and see all the activity on the
4: free stage and whatnot. But there, there's stuff for kids to do as well, right? you bet you we have a, a indoor venue called the kids venue at mtyp at the forks it's got seven plays just for children and families uh tickets for children just five dollars plus every day at old market square park we have our free kids fringe activities area noon till three on weekdays noon till six on weekends with workshops and face painting and crafts and uh entertainment for the for the children plus on the old market square stage there's professional street performers as well all day long along with some fantastic local musicians
0: when Winnipegfringe.com is the website. Chuck McEwen is the festival producer. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the energy that you have is infectious, the passion that you bring to this. Uh, we very much appreciate uh, the visit today.
4: My pleasure, and I hope to see you you and all your listeners out the fork, out the fringe having a great time.
1: You can count on that, Chuck. We appreciate it once again. Thank you, sir.
0: Chuck McEwen joining us live on 680 CJOB, WinnipegFringe.com.
1: Taste of Manitoba finally came to me. That festival that used to take place in Memorial Park. Yeah. The different tents. Yeah. Two restaurants. You'd buy your tickets and then you get a little taster. Just just came to me. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Thanks for listening to CJOB Mornings On Demand. If you like what you hear, take a minute to rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And for more Mackling and McGarry, tune in to 680 CJOB Mornings weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m.